Hi, I'm Jen, and this is Gardening Out Loud. What I have for you this week is a very special guest episode with Sarah Joy Bennett. And Sarah Joy is a front yard food gardener and a David Suzuki butterfly ranger. And she has all kinds of wonderful wisdom to share with you. I'll come back after the interview to talk a little more, but what I want to say going in is that on the day we recorded this, just a couple hours before, I was in the pit of despair about the world. And I had to drag myself out of it over to Sarah Joy's place to record. And while those reasons for despair are still very much there, this conversation was such a bomb and really helped me. And I hope that even if you're not in the pit of despair, that it has that effect on you too. Oh, and I did want to say I had some technical difficulties where my primary mic died two thirds of the way through this conversation. And so you'll notice a decline in audio quality for the last six minutes. I had to go to my backup mic, which is janky uh, and jankier than I had hoped (laughs) at the time. So forgive me. It's amateur hour still. Enjoy. And I'll be back to talk about some of the highlights for me right after the interview. My name is Sarah Joy Bennett. I am a gardener (laughs) and a writer and a butterfly ranger and a massage therapist and a performer. But most days I am a gardener and I lead workshops in gardening and I teach kids and older people about how to grow their own pollinator patches. And this is my space, which I adore. We moved in here about three years ago, so this is my third growing season in this space. This is the first time in my life I've lived in a house and had an opportunity to put a a shovel into the soil and and make some choices. And that, that was huge. I've done a lot of gardening on balconies and fire escapes and on other people's land, which all of which is fantastic. I got to know my neighbors in a wonderful way through gardening in their spaces, but to have your own is a remarkable blessing. And it is a source of infinite joy throughout the year. It's kind of divided into two spaces. I call it the farm in the forest. In the back is very shaded. Our backyard is a lovely, lovely shady space to be in the summer. So it offers a cool spot and an awesome spot for my daughter to play in. There's a great big Norway maple and a bunch of cedars and the soil is crazy sandy. So getting stuff to grow back there is very much a challenge. Right now, I'm leaving the back space for only native 
shade loving plants. And I like it nice and scrappy because it's a great spot that I don't need to worry about. My daughter and her friends can roll around and dig around and get muddy and pull things up and plant things down. And it's a, it's a fun, scrappy place for them. And that'll change over time as she changes and she grows up and uses the space differently. But right now it's forest and fun and the witch's kitchen and a treehouse and that kind of business. The front is all of my edible growing space. So the farm in the front and the forest in the back. We were really blessed to find a house that we could afford to rent in Toronto. That was magical and that was all my husband who found it. But not only could we manage to, to rent here, our landlords are really lovely people and were amenable when I asked them, can I create a garden here? Because there wasn't anything here at all. There was just grass and one holly bush, which you can still see way back here. That holly bush was there. Literally nothing else was here. And I asked my landlords if it would be okay. And I have been growing and growing and stretching and stretching and stretching and stretching further out into the grassy lawn every year since then. I've been like laying down lasagna gardening method with the cardboard covered with compost, covered with soil in like October, let it sit for six months and then dig into it and plant into it in the spring. And then I added raised beds here and then I built terraces into the hill here. And I, I've really put the effort into not just cultivating the the land and feeding the soil but I've done everything I can to cultivate a really positive relationship with my landlords because it does belong to them ultimately and so I always make sure that they share in everything that I grow so I grow a lot of food I make a lot of pickles I make a lot of chutney I make a lot of pies I make a lot of jam I've got lots of zucchini and I dry herbs and I always put together a few big harvest baskets for them every, every growing season so that they're getting some pleasure out of it as well. And so far it's been working really well. It's, it's been very happy for all of us. So I'm grateful for that. It was at the very end of 2019 that we moved in. So my first growing season here was 2020 and that was a gift in so many ways. Like that got me through the first spring and summer. And it also introduced me to my neighbors in a way that I don't, very few other things could have done. I was nervous about planting out front because this is what I would describe as a posh neighborhood. It's not the poshest in Toronto, but by, by, my, by my standards, I would call this very posh and very lovely. And there's some very, very nice houses around here. And David and I had, you know, imposter syndrome when we moved in and we didn't know how it would be received if we started getting rid of lawn and putting in zucchini and putting in tall amaranth and sunflowers and raspberry patches and tomatoes. And just, we weren't sure this whole neighborhood felt really new to us. We didn't know anyone here. And 
maybe weirdly COVID helped. Maybe people were just out walking a lot more. That was that was that spring where everyone was just walking and saying hello to each other from a distance, you know? And that's that was when my daughter and I, she was only three then, were outside every day building a garden and we got to know everybody every walker we got to know them and now we have come to the point of we know i think by name very well literally everybody on our street on both sides it's kind of like having a dog in the way it gets you talking to people so many people stopped and whether it was just covid and they were lonely and they wanted to talk to somebody or whether they would have been interested anyway i don't know but so many people stopped and said what's that what's is that a zucchini what that was that tall stringy thing why is that thing huge what have you what are you doing and they all wanted to know and they all thought it was cool and it's easy to share when you're a gardener too you always have extra everything so you start talking to a neighbor and you explain that you're growing peas and you give them a few to taste and they think it's kind of cool and then you let them know they're like well i've got extra seeds because you always have extra seeds and then I started putting a I started putting a sign in the big front window every spring letting people know that I had seeds free seeds available and there were so many parents that didn't know what to do with their kids during COVID who were not loving online school and neither did we. It was incredibly hard. The teachers did an amazing job, but it was so hard to do. So I just started offering free seeds to anyone who wanted them, who wanted to try gardening, especially with their kids. So between that and people being curious about what was coming up and the different shapes and colors, I don't know, we got, we got a wonderful harvest of, of neighbors. <laughs> And so much food. I like growing in the front yard a lot. I'm not entirely sure why it, it's become a thing that we don't do. At least around here, nine times out of ten, you've got better light in the front yard. I find that the busyness of the street, the foot traffic, means that I get fewer pests like the raccoons don't hang out quite so much in the front yards as they do in the backyards so i think having all my edibles here in the front protects them a little bit touch wood from raccoons and eaters and it's more sociable and i like that aspect of it a lot too my daughter plays in the garden or she she plays with the neighbors on the street and i can keep an eye on her while i while i work and you get to talk to anyone who walks by. So I, I really love working in the front yard a lot. And when you, when you mix colorful flowers in with all your fruits and vegetables, I think it's every bit as attractive as a purely ornamental garden. A functional and edible garden can be really wonderful and colorful and i confess that the aesthetics were among my considerations when i started building 
because again, I was new to the neighborhood. I didn't want to put people off. I was afraid that a posher neighborhood might consider it to be odd or not done to, to have a, an edible yard. So I wanted to make sure that I also had lots of color and fragrance and, and flowers. And they're all doing pretty well too. So each year I try to limit myself to one major garden project and focus on that. Because I feel, I feel like every garden, no gardener, it, like there, there's no ending. You, there's always something more that you want to build and create and more, more lawn that you want to rip up. I want to rip, rip up the whole lawn, but you know, I'm, I'm moving slowly. But there, there's always like one major expansion that I want to do per growing season. And I'm crazy proud of the terracing that we did last year. We put it in around May last year because my, my front yard is on a somewhat pronounced hill. And again, the soil right around here in Thompson Orchard is remarkably sandy. It is super, 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 super crumbly and dry. It drains great, but it does mean that I have had to add all kinds of compost and leaf matter and, and mulch when I'm filling my beds and creating my lasagna gardening. I'm adding a lot of, of plant matter to richen up the soil. But that means that the hill in the front yard, it was starting to erode. Also, I have kids running up and, and down it. So that, like it was getting kicked up and it was crumbling away more and more. And it was making me a little bit nervous. Plus, it was potential growing space. And I'm loath to, to let any potential growing space get away from me. So I checked with my landlord if it would be all right if I installed something called the dirt locker, which my husband and I had researched after trying to find a bunch of different things, like something that could grow on the hill. We found these wonderful things called dirt lockers from a, an American company. I think it's a fairly small company. Not very many other people have had tried it out, but I can't re recommend it highly enough. They're these bendable plastic scoops, basically. They arrive in the mail flat and you curve them into the side of your hill in terraces, in steps and in layers. And you spike them down into place with J hooks of rebar. And then once they're sturdy and in place, you fill them with soil and then you plant in them. And we didn't even need professionals to help us with it. We had wonderful Jen and wonderful Jordan come in, but you know, somewhat unskilled labor, just handy people and an afternoon and a bit of patience and we got it in. And, and then I planted straight into it and it looked pretty good right away. And in its second year, it looks awesome because I planted all native pollinator plants in here. You can put anything in, you can put vegetables or anything you want in, but I chose to turn this into my dedicated pollinator patch. And each chamber of the terrace is filled with a couple of different native species. 
and it's made it through the winter. That was the other thing that I was slightly worried about because it gets shoveled onto because it goes down to the driveway. It has seen a lot of snow and a lot of weight and it, it's held up and it is my pollinator garden and it's packed with fragrant sage that's just humming with bee activity. The yarrow has just started to bloom and it's going to be this, this gorgeous pink. It, it stays blooming. I think it'll keep going until September. It is so, so long lasting, which is such a treat. I think the blazing stars are going to bloom this year. This thing about native pollinators is they frequently don't bloom in their very first year. You've got to be a little bit more patient with them than with your, you know, your box store annuals that are bright and colorful and you just pop them in and they're good to go right now. You got to give it a little bit more time and a little bit more love. But I think I'm going to get blooms from everybody this year. The wild columbine and and the bee bomb and the blazing star and the dotted mint and the verbena. And we got wild strawberries growing up in here too. It makes me very happy. And the bee activity has been oh, just astounding. It's been so humming. Everything is humming around here. The raspberry bushes are probably my favorites. I had a neighbor who lived next door to me when I was a kid and he was the kindest man. And he had a big raspberry patch in his side yard. And my brother and I used to raid it all the time. We were constantly sneaking over and stealing his raspberries. And he was so kind. He never, he never gave us a hard time about it. And so in, in his honor, I call this the Coleman patch of raspberries. And I think of him and his wife when when I harvest from it, my daughter does. And it's so thick, this, it's so dense. I started this with like five little sticks of raspberry cane two years ago that was given to me by another generous gardener because gardeners are so generous. You just post on your, you know, local gardening page and say, does anyone in my neighborhood happen to have a couple of spare raspberry canes? And she came over and she just gave them to me. And now it's a thick, it's a thicket that I do need to pull back and rope in a little bit. But my dad's coming to help me with that. In a couple of weeks, we'll be, we'll be doing morning and evening harvests again, which was a very big part of Holly's <laughs> online learning years because she helps me build Holly's garden which is that little section of the garden there and she's amazing at planting things she can identify everything in the garden she knows how to harvest things doing online kindergarten was as rough as it sounds so even though her teacher was a remarkable person and was doing her very best, we decided to forgo nearly all of it and just spend our days building up the garden. And Holly had a pretty great time. The huckleberries are one of her favorites too. The huckleberries are really special because they grow from seed 
and they will fruit in their very first year. And these used to be given as seeds, as gifts to people that were starting a new home somewhere. So we've grown these huckleberries every year since we've come here. We start them fresh from seed every spring and Holly is excellent at harvesting them. Their shiny black berries show up really nice against the green leaves. And then she's just really proud of her huckleberry harvest. And then we make jam together. They're, they're a bit too sour to eat raw. They're very, very nice in jam, especially a little bit of lime, a little bit of ginger. They're just, just lovely. And then every single one of Holly's teachers has been given a little jar of Holly Huckleberry jam for their Christmas presents. And it's really very, very nice. And then behind the huckleberries, and almost kind of opposite to huckleberries, is my favorite fruit, which is rhubarb. And it's almost opposite because instead of being able to grow and produce fruit in your first year, you need to give rhubarb at least one year and not touch it before you can harvest from it. And that was difficult for me as a renter. I held off on planting rhubarb for a really long time, even though I love it, even though it's like expensive at the grocery store and even though it, it's prolific and gorgeous big green leaves because I got hung up on the idea of, well, I, I don't know. I don't know if I'm going to be in Toronto. I don't know how long I can afford to live here. I don't know, this apartment. Blah, 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 blah. I, I won't put down roots. I just, I just, I can't commit. It's the commitment planned. <laughs> and then... It's funny when you look back on it and you think, oh, well, Jesus, I could have been eating rhubarb the last five years. So I finally did. And I decided, what the hell with it? If I'm not here next year, that's fine. Someone else will eat it. Someone else will enjoy it. And I'll start again some other place. But I'm not going to hold off on, on creating something so lovely. So let's just plant some damn rhubarb. And, and I did, and it's, it's kind of become a symbol of, of this home that we're, we're sharing right now, is the, the roots that you put down. And then beside it is kind of sad looking, maybe you'll be okay. It's an eggplant. I've never had luck with eggplant. Try growing from seed, it didn't work. This one I did buy in a pot. It could look better. We will see all of his neighbors Great big giant tomatoes are looking fantastic. So maybe he'll come through or maybe I need to accept that eggplants and me don't, don't fit. Maybe we, maybe that is one of my limitations. Although that said, my poppies over here look so gorgeous. Just this mass of deep purple and mauve and red and gorgeous fluttery raggedy petals and tall they're almost as tall as I am and this is the very first time I've been able to grow a poppy it's my favorite flower and it's never worked for me I have tried desperately hard in so many different places in oh I've planted them under grow lights I de delicately planted them in the sunny spot the slight less sunny spot I was so precious with them and I tried so hard and it just broke my heart every time and I was just about to consign them to the list of limitations that I keep written so that I can just refer to it every now and again growing succulents does not happen 
not possible for me. I kill them. Making candy, making caramel. I can't do those things. And that's okay. We can live without those things. And I was just about to write poppies on that list and say, I will no longer buy poppy seeds. I will let it go. And then you changed my life by telling me to scatter them on the snow in like January, where I roughly want them to grow in the spring. And I did in a sort of last ditch spirit. I went through my seed stash. I got all the leftover poppy seeds I had and I sprinkled them onto the January snow. And I said, I will never buy poppy seeds again. You grow, you don't grow. I leave it to you, but know this, this is your last chance. And they are just stunning. They are so great and I'm so happy. I just danced when they bloom. I'm also focusing on my favorites this year. Every year the garden looks really different. In, in the first year, I wanted to kind of focus on creating a place that my daughter Holly could explore and, and be in with me for long periods of time. And so I, I focused on creating quite a lot of sunflower and enormous amaranth growth in the corner. And so there were these paths between these enormous flowers that she could carve for herself and all of these hiding spaces that she could make for herself. And that was really fun, especially when she was tiny. But this year I'm focusing on growing my very favorite fruits and vegetables. So instead of feeling like there have been years where I felt like, oh no, I need to be, I need to be a subsistence farmer. I need to have some, some root vegetables and some onions and this and that I need to grow everything. You, you won't grow everything. It won't, it's not possible. You get an appreciation of farmers and the work that they do as soon as you start growing even a little bit of your own food. You'll never grow in a little plot like this in the short Canadian growing season enough to subsist for the whole year, but you can grow a ton of exciting tomatoes and a ton of amazing rhubarb. And so I'm just playing my favorites. I've got about 18 different tomato plants of six different varieties five or six big zucchini plants, five or six big cucumber plants. We will eat those as they grow just right off the vine all summer long. A few greens and the giant raspberry patch, giant rhubarb patch. And rhubarb freezes really well. Tomatoes freeze really well. There will be salsa and spaghetti sauce and pizza sauce and tomato chutney and all wonderful things all winter long. Oh, I bought the banana peppers this year because my dad really loves pickled banana peppers, so I'm going to make them that. I think I started growing probably like a lot of gardeners after I read The Secret Garden as a child. And what I love about that book is, if you haven't read it, it's about a miserable, nasty little girl who is deeply unhappy because she just doesn't care about anyone. She hasn't considered caring about anyone or anything, really, except for herself in her whole life. And then for the first time in her life, she cares about this very neglected garden that no one has loved in years and years and has been locked away. And through the act of caring about the tiny life within her garden, she starts opening herself up to caring about more and more things and about people as well. And that's new for her. First, it's her garden and it's animals and then it's even people. And that's enormous for her. 
putting down roots, it makes you feel a part of something larger. And it connects you with place, with land, and with the community around you in a way that for me, few other things have done. I feel deeply grounded when I'm out here and that feeling sticks with me, not just in the garden. It, it roots me into the land, into the community, and gives me a place to stand. Thank you so much, Sarah Joy, for having me over and sharing your space with all of us. It was so lovely. And there were so many times while recording that I just wanted to jump in and, and agree and chime in. And part of this is an exercise in staying quiet and listening. But a few things I wanted to draw out now. One is front yard gardening. I love how passionate Sarah Joy is for growing food in your front lawn. This is still, as she suggests, a little bit of a taboo. And I do want to say this is partially about privilege. Sarah Joy is a native born Canadian, a white lady. Certainly these things work in her favor in negotiating with a landlord. But also she is building goodwill and being smart about how she goes about it. And I think there's a lesson there for anyone. And I would love to see more people growing front yard food gardens. And in fact, there's an organization in Toronto called Food Up Front that will even give you free seeds if you're willing to grow food in your front yard. So these are norms that we can kind of steadily erode over time. And I'm so thankful that Sarah Joy is such a great ambassador for front yard food growing. Another thing that really tickled me was her list of things that she cannot do, which ultimately I think we should all keep, especially in gardening. There are certain lies we tell ourselves again and again, and it is fine to not do everything and not do everything well. Not every space is suited for every crop, for every flower, whatever the case may be. And that's such a good reminder to have those limitations. I also love that she said, you don't need to grow everything. And that is something that I kind of have learned too over time. We eat a lot of carrots, but I actually don't grow that many carrots because they're a bit fussy here. Whereas I can grow an abundance of tomatoes and dahlias and things that I absolutely adore. I loved her story about raspberries. And this resonated especially with me because I dug up some raspberries just the other day to give to someone who wanted to plant the boulevard space, you know, the space between a sidewalk and a street that happens not that often in Toronto, but sometimes. And she wanted to put some pollinator plants there and some things that would kind of benefit the wider community. And so I dug up a few canes and they don't seem like much when you dig them up. But listening to Sarah Joy and witnessing the true thicket of raspberries that she had was really wonderful because I was thinking about that little boulevard patch and how in just a couple of years, it too could be offering that kind of abundance. And that is one of the most magical things about gardening. The last thing that 
really hit me hard was talking about gardening as a renter. I too am a renter. My tenure here is uncertain. Our house was actually up for sale for several months in the winter and spring. And when I first moved here, I too was kind of afraid to put down roots. I didn't plant perennials. And eventually, after being here a couple of years, maybe I just decided it was time to dig in. And so now I have so many perennials and I am so glad that I took that leap of faith that I committed to rooting in this place. And maybe next year I'll have to dig them up or leave them behind. I don't know, but I loved that Sarah Joy stressed the importance of rooting also, I should say, of cultivating on a practical side, good relations with your landlord so that they can be amenable and remain amenable to the kind of gardening that you might want to do on their property. So that's a good tip. And I guess the last thing I want to stress was where Sarah Joy finished, which is gardening as portal to caring about the world. Gardening as a way that expands our circles of care. And that was a message I really needed to hear. And there are lots of ways that you can do this. It doesn't have to be gardening, but gardening is such a good example of carving out a space and letting the work that you do there ripple out into the community. So thank you, SJ, for the wonderful visit. And thank you to all of you for visiting Sarah Joy's garden with me. I will be back later in the week with an update from here. The same audio problems that plagued me in Sarah Joy's end recording plagued me here. So I'm going to start from scratch give you some fresh audio and treat your ears to less static. As always, thanks so much for listening, for spending some time to connect with our lovingly cultivated spaces. See you soon.